I have been feeling for quite some time to start a new uh, series. Of course, we still didn't finish the series on Ephesians, but it will be there when we get ready to go back to it or God gets ready for us to go back to it. But I, I've been thinking for quite some time that we needed to do a series on, I'm entitling Values of the Cross. And by values of the cross, it's a play on words. I specifically mean values of Cross Church. You can actually find these on the website under About Us, and then you click down and you'll see values there on what we think is important. But it's not just about, well, we think these are important. We hope to achieve these at some point, but... We want to achieve them now. We want to live them now. We want to be them now. And so I'm going to, unless the Lord interrupts this series, I'll preach 10 consecutive messages on the 10 values. And, of course, I, I, I'm a student enough of business and planning and all of these things to know that and 10 values is a lot. And so you're supposed to, well, you know, let's get three or five, and you have to cross as big. That's just too many good things that we need to do and be as, as a church congregation to just try to sum it up in three or five words that then nobody understands because you've synthesized it so much, so then you have to explain it all. And so they're mostly pretty self-explanatory. You can read them on the website, but I will endeavor over the next ten or so weeks to go through all of these. So today I'm going to, and you'll just have to keep guessing on which one I'm doing next, because I'm not necessarily doing them in order. So, you know, you just have to show up to find out what's coming. But I want to read today from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And most of the time when people preach this passage, they preach about evangelism. So I'm going to preach it, I think, probably in its better context. And I will explain that over the course of the remainder of this message. But I want to preach today, values of the cross, lifelong discipleship. Lifelong discipleship. God bless you. You may be seated. I, I think I referenced this book a, a month or a few months ago, maybe. Everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. And, and while that is maybe true in, in many ways when it comes to principles of sharing and principles of how to get along with people and a variety of different things, and I think one of his principles was you need to take a nap every day. You learn that in kindergarten. And maybe that's why I'm a kindergarten dropout. I don't know. I went three weeks and decided kindergarten was not for me. They had nothing there I needed to learn, and I'm still struggling with some of those things today. But 
I, I really did drop out of kindergarten. I don't know what my parents were thinking. Um, I guess I, maybe I turned out all right. You can be the judge of that on whether I turned out all right. But, I, you know, going through school, you, you take a lot of classes. I just heard this the other day. Why do I need to know that? I'm never going to use that. Anybody say that when you were in school? Anybody heard your kids say that? Why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know math? I've got ten fingers and ten toes. Why do I need to figure out all this stuff? And the reality is that that you always need to be learning. You always need to, to grow in your knowledge. And if you just stick with what you learned in kindergarten, or if you just stick with 2 plus 2 equals 4, and you never progress beyond that, it's going to be pretty hard to, to balance your checkbook. It's going to be pretty hard to, to get on in life. And So while I understand the gist of the book and great principles there, The reality is that all of us need to continue to learn in every avenue of life. When I was a teenager, I was 18 in 1990, so you can figure out how old I am. The Internet was actually probably around as part of the Department of Defense, but nobody really knew about the Internet. It wasn't being talked about. Well, just a few years later, guess what? If you don't learn the Internet, you can't function. And and as we move further and further into that digital age and a cashless society, which the Bible may have prophesied about, that's for another day, it's that you, you have to continue to progress. You have to continue to learn. You can't just stay where you are. And, and I would tell you that that is true when it comes to the things of God. That you can't just go, well, I had an experience, I I had a a moment, I had an encounter with God, and everything is good, and we'll just stay right there. Everything I need to know about God, I learned at my moment of salvation. It doesn't work that way, that you have to continue to grow and to progress and to learn about Jesus Christ. The word disciple, it comes from the Greek word mathetes. Look at your neighbor and say, Mathetes. Now, quickly, you can forget that. Just know that it's the word disciple. The word disciple is some 261 times in the New Testament. 250 or so of those are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The rest are scattered throughout the book of Acts. But the word means to be a a learner, to means to be a, a follower. It means to be a student. And God has called us to be disciples. That means that we're to be learners, we're to be followers, we're to be students. It doesn't mean that we're just to be believers in the sense that I had this moment of belief and everything's good, or or I had this moment of salvation, but we're to have this ongoing learning relationship with Jesus Christ. Many have said this over the years, but that say if in the natural, if you stop learning you start dying. That the moment you quit caring about coming up and learning something new and and reading books or or discovering new things, you start atrophying. Your brain begins to shut down and you actually start going backwards. There is no, just let's just stay where we are. If you're not progressing, typically, in almost anything, it's the second law of thermodynamics. If you're not getting better, guess what? It's going to be a natural pullback, and things are going to go from good to worse. So we need to be ongoing learners in everything, but specifically when it comes to the things of God. 
There is what some would call an evangelism and discipleship conundrum. Which is this, is, is that people promote and push evangelism. And let's just get everybody saved and talk about the gospel and get all of this done. And then they never mature or grow into being the people that God wants them to be. And then other people say, let's just focus on discipleship and get everybody as mature as possible and make these people there as awesome Christians. Now, they're not living the mission of Jesus Christ, which is to tell people and make disciples. But, man, they're really awesome and holy and righteous people. And the reality is it's not an either or, it is a both and, that you have to have evangelism and discipleship. You got to bring in new people, but you got to mature and you got to continue in a journey with Jesus Christ. It's not just that salvation experience. So, when is a disciple made? When, when do you become a disciple? A disciple, if you're a learner and a student, if you learned or were a student in the past, does it ever cease? If you, if you stop learning, you stop following, are you still a disciple? And I would tell you that a disciple is, and I'll define this in a little, just a little bit, so don't put the definition up yet, but it has to be an ongoing process. But this passage that I read to you, it is called the Great Commission. It is, Jesus didn't call it that. I'm not sure his early disciples or apostles called it that, but we call it the Great Commission. And I'm going to give you five things about this Great Commission. The first is this, it is a commission because Jesus has all authority. Verse 18 said, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, the way a commission works is somebody in authority delegates that authority to someone else and says, I'm commissioning you to go and do this task. When you're in the military, you're an officer, you receive what? You receive a commission. You're now to go and you're to be in authority over these other people. That the people in charge of the military, the generals, or whatever the rank happens to be, they commission somebody to go and take authority that they have. They, they live out that authority that's coming from above them. They are commissioned to do that. And what Jesus said is, all authority is given to me. Everything. In heaven and in earth. Jesus is God in flesh. He's not just a good man. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just the sacrifice for our sins, but he is the almighty God. And he says, all authority is mine. It all belongs to me. And because of that, now I'm going to tell you to go out and do something. I'm going to commission you to carry out my purpose, to carry out my task, to carry out this mission. Paul said it this way, we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are his representatives, that when people see us, they should see Jesus Christ in us, that we're not walking through this world on our own and going, well, hey, everybody, look at me, look at how good I can sing, or forget how bad I can sing, whatever, the, it's really all about Jesus Christ, so, so they should see Jesus Christ in us. I think it's J.J. Weeks sings a song, Let them see you in me. Let them 
hear you when I speak. Let them feel you when I sing. And, and I, I love that song, and it should be all of our prayer. It's God, let them see you. I, I'm here as your ambassador. I am commissioned to do your work. So let people see you when they see Don't let them just look at me and go, hey, he's a cool guy, or man, maybe he's not a cool guy. It really doesn't matter, but are they seeing Jesus Christ in me? Are they hearing Jesus when I speak or sing or whatever it happens to be? And Jesus demonstrated this idea of, of authority and commissioning his people when he said to Peter and the other apostles, even before his death, he says, whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatsoever you bind will be bound in heaven. I'm going to give you the authority to do certain things. I'm commissioning you. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, I believe, that he has committed unto us the ministry of, of reconciliation to wit God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has committed unto us that same mission that ministry of reconciliation it is a commission because Jesus has all authority and has delegated that to us I don't know if you know this but Jesus doesn't preach the gospel he's not coming up meeting people and go hey let me tell you who I am let me tell you about me. No, he gives us the authority and the mission to preach the gospel. It is only through us. Angels don't preach the gospel. People preach the gospel. But the second thing I want you to know is this. It is a commission to make disciples. It's not even a commission to just share the gospel. It's not a, a, a commission just to... Go, let me tell you who Jesus is. That's part of it. But the goal is not that you have told people. The goal is to make disciples. If you could go back to Matthew 28, 19, this first part, it says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. The, the, com the commission is not to go. The commission is to make disciples. Now, now, when you look at this verse, and, and I'll spend a little time here analyzing some of this. But if you look at that, you would think that go is the command. But go is not the command. There's only one command in this verse, and it is the words, make disciples. That he has commissioned us to make disciples. Go is a participle. Baptizing is a participle. Teaching them, which we'll see in the next verse, is a participle. And so there's one command here, and that is to make disciples. How do you make disciples? You do it as you're going. As you're going through life, all right, in, in their case in the, in the first century, as you're going through Jerusalem and as you're going through Judea and Samaria, and for us as we're going through Olathe or as we're going through Overland Park or as we're going through Kansas City or Topeka or wherever, as you go, make disciples. That is the commission. That is the command, in essence, of, of Jesus Christ. And I would tell you it is a commission that is given as a command. It's not a Hey, man, if you guys feel like it, why don't you, you can make some disciples while you're going around. That'd be cool. Well, it is an imperative, make disciples. So what is 
a disciple. We talked a little bit about it earlier. It is a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a student, a learner of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you a little longer definition. This definition has three parts to it. But a disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's the first part. If you're not fully devoted to Jesus, you're not a disciple. If you just like Jesus, if you just have Jesus on Sunday, if you just have Jesus whenever things are going bad, you're not a fully devoted follower. A fully devoted follower is someone who is all about Jesus all the time. Michael Jr., he's a, he's a Christian comedian. He has this sketch that he does about being, i got to hurry, i got three more points after this one. He, he has this sketch he does about being oversaved. And, it's, and, and it's, he's pretty hilarious. He's got this really dry sense of humor. This is what he means by oversaved. You're talking to somebody, and you're like, man, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry for the Lord. You know, just like whatever the, whatever the, the context happens to be, you're going to bring it around to Jesus. Man, I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for righteousness. You know, it's like always, anybody been around those people? As Michael Jr. would say, our people, if you didn't raise your hand, you probably are those people, you know. But here's what I would tell you. It's while it's humorous, and I've been around people that are annoying that are like that. Maybe we should all be like that. Where are my keys? You mean the keys to the kingdom? But it should be all Jesus all the time. That it's not just, I, I, I selected follow on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. If you're on social media, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like social media. I, I do social media because I have to. I have never in the course of my 48 years ever made a personal post on social media. Now, I make church posts because that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, you know, of course, they did do churches for 2,000 years without social media, but now you've got to have social media. So, so I, I post, like, hey, we got church coming up in case you didn't remember it was Sunday or whatever. You know, you post this stuff. But, but you, every once in a while, I'll follow people on Instagram. I've got a church Instagram account. I've got a Twitter account. I don't ever do that because nobody pays attention to Twitter. But if you're on social media, there's a little button, you follow somebody. And you know what that means? Almost nothing. You, you've got, I'm following 422 people. I don't pay attention to anything they do, and I just made that number up. But that's the way we do. Every once in a while, that means something will come up, and I'll pay attention to it. If it happens to strike my fancy, that's an archaic phrase, isn't it? Strike your fancy. But for them, that doesn't mean that every day you're going on to see what they posted. It just happens if it shows up in your feed, if it just appeals to you at the moment. And that's the way a lot of people are with, with Jesus. It's like, well, we're following Jesus when we need him or when something happens and, or somebody brings him up. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. They hadn't talked to him in years. That's not a follower of Jesus. What he has called us to be are people who are fully devoted to following him. 
That means that when I get up in the morning, I, I think about Jesus. That, that when I go through my day, I'm like, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Or, or when I face a situation or a circumstances, Jesus, how should I respond to this? That's when you're a follower of Jesus, is that when you're talking to him and you're spending time with him and you're in his word, allowing him to talk to you. That a disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And secondly, they are people who are having the character of Jesus developed in them. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus who is developing the character of Jesus. If you follow Jesus for 20 years and you're not any different than when you first started, you're probably really not following him. That if you're not growing and maturing in your relationship with Jesus, that maybe you're not really following him. I've referenced this before. A book written around the turn of the 20th century. In his steps, Charles Sheldon. And in that book, the, the question was asked, what would Jesus do? Big Tent Revival in the, the 90s made the song popular, WWJD, and we had bracelets and we had all this stuff. But it really came from Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps. But asking, what would Jesus do in this situation, in this circumstance? How would he respond? What kind of character would he display? Are we developing the character of Jesus? And thirdly, we have to be deployed in the mission of Jesus. Be deployed in the mission and the work of Jesus Christ. And that mission is to make disciples. It's that simple. It's not complicated. But sometimes it's hard. But it is our mission to make disciples that's all he's called us to be in and i would ask this question if you stop being any of of those things listed if you stop being a devoted follower or if you stop developing the character of jesus or if you stop being deployed in the mission of jesus are you still a disciple and i would tell you that probably not this isn't original with me but it's this, that the gospel is not just facts to believe. It is a truth to obey. And maybe more importantly, and this is a piece I added, it is a person to follow. That the gospel is about following Jesus. It is about making disciples or making others who are followers of Jesus. Thirdly, and I got, I've got to hurry, it is a commission that requires baptism if you go back to matthew 28 19 how do you make disciples you do it by going you also do it by baptizing i talk to people all the time they are gung-ho about the great commission yeah we'll baptize you if we feel like it or if you feel like it make disciples of all the nations how how do you make disciples? You, you baptize them. It's pretty clear. It's pretty simple. But it's not just anything called baptism. It's not just anything involving water. 
And in our culture today, it's like almost anything. If it involves water, man, it can be baptism. That's not the way it works. If you look, and, I, and I don't have time to do a, a theological discourse on baptism. But, but I, I just wanted, I put this point up here just because I want you to understand that it's not just these facts to believe. It is a truth to obey. And it is a person to follow. And the way in which we do that is have people follow Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. That we have people follow him through repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. That's the way in which we began our journey of following him. And I realize some of you may be looking at this, this verse and say, well, I don't see anything about baptizing them in the name of Jesus. All I see this baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I get that. I, I don't, and I don't have time to do a whole theological discourse. I'd love to do it because I, I get a lot of fun out of doing it. But I just ask a couple of questions about this verse, and then we'll move on. These are rhetorical. You don't have to please. Don't shout out your answer out loud. But when he says baptizing them in the name, there are no names listed here. All you see are titles. That God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. But he says baptize them in the name, and I, I had... I've asked numerous people that, and not everybody gets it by saying, so what's the name? What's the, obviously, it's the name, of, the name is Jesus. All of that is encompassed in the name of Jesus, which is why that, that in the book of Acts, everybody is baptized in the name of Jesus. Nobody is baptized by saying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's always in the name of Jesus because there is power in no other name. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And as Paul said in Colossians, do all things in the name of Jesus. And so for 200 years of church history, nobody was ever baptized any other way but in the name of Jesus. Because in the name of Jesus, you get all that God is. You get all that is encompassed in that name. And it is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's the one who went to the cross. He's the one who was buried. He's the one who was raised again. And so when we identify with that, we identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection. We are crucified with Christ. We are buried with Christ in baptism, Paul said. If you have questions about this, I'd love to sit down and do a a more in-depth Bible study. But understand this, that this commission requires baptism. That if you're going to make a disciple, you have to baptize them. Verse 20 gives us our last two points. The first of those is this, is that this commission is not accomplished in a moment. Jesus said, he continued in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. In case you don't know that, that's a lot. And, and, key, and understand what he says. He said, all that I commanded you, not all that I suggested to you, not all that I just threw out there, not every little time we talked about, hey, where are we going to stop on the road and, and eat? I hope, there's, I hope there's a place we can get some, some dates and some figs and some matzah as we're journeying from Jerusalem down to 
the other parts of Galilee or what he he said all that I commanded you is what you're supposed to teach them to observe now understand this that observe doesn't mean to just look at it that doesn't mean yep I've seen it written on the page we're good no observe means to actually participate and to do we use that word observe when it comes to holidays. We're going to observe this holiday on this day, which means we're actually going to celebrate the holiday on a certain day. It falls on a weekend, but the bank is going to be closed on Monday in observance of a holiday. That means they're going to do their celebrating on that day. That means that we're going, when we observe all that he commanded us, it's not just to know it, it's to actually do it. It's to actually live it. That if you make disciples, they have to learn something. They have to do something. It's not just come in and get saved. And I still love Jesus. I don't know anything else I'm supposed to do, and I don't ever do it. But it is to observe all things. And, and this understand, it's not just on every disciple to learn it all on their own. There are other disciples who are supposed to teach them. Teach them all things that I have commanded you. And I would tell you that teaching all things takes a while. Learning all things probably takes even longer. You will learn or you will know or retain about 90 to 95% of what you teach. You only retain about 5% of what you hear. Which is why when we all get involved in making disciples and in teaching other people, guess what? We learn it better and we remember it and then we can start living it and observing all the things that he has commanded us. And I would tell you, based on what John wrote at the end of his gospel, he said, I would tell you, he said, the world cannot even contain all the books if everything was recorded that Jesus did. He did a lot of stuff. He taught a lot of stuff, and it takes a long time to learn it. But Jesus and James both said this, that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's not just hearing it and going, man, that's, that's awesome stuff. Tell me some more wonderful things. We're supposed to take that and do it and live it. We're supposed to observe these things. And, and this is really the point where, I'm pulling this passage for our lifelong discipleship, as you see on the screen behind me. It's that it's not just one Sunday a month or once every couple of months. or No, it is an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. We're, we're ongoing learning and observing and letting him mature us and make us. And this side of heaven, we will never know. And observe everything we're supposed to know and do. And that's where his grace comes in. He's not asking us to know it all or to be experts in all of it. He just wants us to be seeking him and to be following him. And when we get to heaven, he will transform us into the image of his dear son, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. We are to be doers of the word. Last point is this. It is a commission that is empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. If you would put verse 20 back up there. Jesus ends this passage 
and this is New American Standard. It says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word lo is actually maybe more accurately understood in our context as the word behold. So it could say this, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This word there, lo or behold, is the second command in this passage. I'm commissioning you to make disciples. This is how you do it. He says, and behold. Take special note. Pay attention. It's not a suggestion here. He he commands, behold, I am with you always. That it's not a commission that you have to fulfill on your own. It's not he says, well, here's some authority. Go ahead and have a good time doing this. He says, but behold, I am with you. Don't forget that I'm with you. Take special note of the fact that I am going to be with you, and I am going to be the one that empowers you and helps you fulfill this commission. We don't have to do it by ourselves. God has promised to be with us. He has promised that he is going to, to, to be with us at all times, even to the end of the age. And the focus then is this, it's, it's not on whether I can reach somebody, it's on whether he can reach somebody through me. That the focus becomes about Jesus Christ, and, and if I'm what I'm supposed to be, if I'm learning and if I'm growing and I'm maturing and they're seeing Jesus in me because I'm following him closely, then guess what? He's going to enable me to reach them. He's going to enable me to have the boldness to talk to them. He's going to enable me to have the wisdom to say the right thing so that they will want to know the Jesus I know. He is with us. The writer said this, that we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That he's the one who started this. And guess what? He will bring it to completion or as Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to do everything he started as long as I continue following after him. Or as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, If the Spirit that dwelt in Christ dwell in you, it shall also quicken your mortal bodies. That if, if the Spirit of Jesus is dwelling in us, and when the Spirit of Jesus is dwelling in us, what we call that is the Holy Spirit of God that is living on the inside. If that happens, guess what? He is with us. He is empowering us. He is enabling us. He is giving us what he promised in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses. That it is a commission empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. Moses at the burning bush. God gives him a commission. He gives him a mission. This is what I want you to do. And he said, and he says to God, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have the ability to do that. In fact, he says, I, I can't even talk well. I've got a speech impediment. And he didn't use that word, but that's the implication behind it. I, I can't do what you want me to do. I, I don't talk very good. What does God say? I will be 
with you. That you don't have to do it on your own. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. And making disciples is not about me. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. But if you don't follow him and you don't focus on him and you don't have the mission of of Jesus on your, your mind, guess what? You will never accomplish that mission. But he wants us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is a commission because Jesus has all authority. It's a commission to make disciples. It's a commission that includes or requires baptism. It is a commission that is not accomplished in just a moment, but it's a lifelong process. And it is a commission empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. Just stand together. say it this way that it is a commission that can really only be carried out by true followers of Jesus and I referenced this earlier where the first thing that we're to do is not just to run out and make disciples and man yeah I'm I heard about Jesus, I'm going to go make disciples. No, we follow him. And the initial way in which we follow him is through that identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Paul said, and I quoted it, that I die daily or I'm crucified with Christ. That that the crucifixion of Jesus is played out in us not by physical pain and not by torturing ourselves, not by doing self-flagellation like people of old sometimes would do and and beat themselves to, you know, I sinned against God and I got to make myself suffer for it. No, that's not how we're crucified with Christ. We're crucified with Christ when we, we go, Jesus, you were crucified on my behalf. You were, you, you were crucified because I'm a sinner, because I've been living my own life because I've committed all these sins. And I I, I want to turn from that. And we put to death the old man, the old way. Our sinful nature, we say, I'm not going to give in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. I'm going to put that to death. I'm going to crucify that just like Jesus was crucified on the cross. I'm going to I'm going to now live, choose to live for him and not live for myself and it's called repentance and the second way that we follow him is through water baptism that just as Jesus is taken off the cross and he's put into a tomb that we are buried with Christ in baptism and we don't actually get put in a tomb we don't go and cover ourselves up with dirt, but it is the waters of baptism that's symbolic of what he did, we do. Which is why we're baptized in the name of Jesus, and it's by immersion. It's not just anything called baptism. It's not just pouring water on your head or sprinkling water, but it is the word baptism, which means to immerse or to submerge. That all the way under, you don't bury somebody with 
just throwing a little bit of dirt on them. And when you bury somebody, they're all the way covered. So he says, we're going to follow him in baptism, that identification with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, if you were here last week, you heard it referenced last week that repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That when we are baptized in the name of Jesus, our sins are taken all away. When we're submerged in his name, when we're identifying with his burial. But fortunately for us, it doesn't stop there, but he wants to fill us with his spirit so that we can rise to walk in newness of life. That we can be filled with the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit that was in Christ. We can be filled with that. And when that happens, he is with us always. And that infilling of the Spirit, it has numerous ways in which it's referred to. It's baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, received the Spirit. But it's all the same thing. It's that when the Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of us, it will change and transform our lives. And when that happens for the first time, we will speak with tongues that we do not know. We will speak a new language as evidence that he has come and moved and lived on the inside. We want to be lifelong disciples. We want to continue to learn and to grow. We want the trains not to come by. Unless we're singing really loud. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. Philippians chapter 3, he, he lays out his pedigree, his Jewish pedigree. He says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Pharisees, man, they knew the law. They followed the law to a T and made up their own laws to, to follow and live by. And he, and he says, I was, like, I was like the best Pharisee there was. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I was, in essence, I was the man. I knew it all. He was commissioned by the Sanhedrin to go out and kill Christians and persecute Christians because he was so zealous for the, the Jewish way. He knew the Old Testament. He could quote the Old Testament. In fact, what you see most of the time whenever you see Old Testament quotes in the Bible... They're not going back and saying, now, where was that verse again? And flipping back or looking through a scroll and all that. They, they, they knew the Old Testament. But when he is writing his last letter, his last letter that is part of, of the, the Holy Scripture, part of the canon, and we'll talk about that a little bit on the 17th if you want to be here and what the canon means and what all that entails, but... But he writes in 2 Timothy 4, 13. He's writing to Timothy. And this is his last letter before he dies. He says this. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Troas. 
So I left that cloak in Troas with Carpus, and we don't know who Carpus is. It's the only time he's ever mentioned. He said, I left that cloak with, Tro- with Carpus and Troas. He said, when you come, bring me my cloak. Keep in mind, Paul's in prison. He's writing this, and they're not going to take care of him too good. And then he says this, and bring the books, especially the parchments. Scholars are split on what that means and whether the and parchments is, especially the parchments, is a reference to the type of books that he wants. But what's almost universally accepted is this, is that when he says, bring this stuff to me, I want you to bring my copies of the Scripture. I don't have them here. But there's more. Even though I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, even though I've got a whole lot of this committed to memory, there's still more I want to learn. There's still more that I want to know. I'm a lifelong disciple that even in prison, I'm never going to get out of this prison. I'm going to die here. They're going to cut my head off before too long, but I still want to learn. I want to know more about the God I serve. And I would tell you this, that if Paul would say that of himself, I'm getting ready to die. Make sure I have my books. Make sure, especially the parchments. There's still more. Until the day I die, I want to continue to learn and know Him. I want to continue to grow in Him. In Philippians 3, after talking about how great He was before He came to Jesus, and He says, What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ, and yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of Jesus Christ by faith. And then he said this, that I may know him, in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. I want to know him. Anybody else want to know Jesus Christ? Anybody else want to continue to draw close to him and and to learn of him? Would you lift your hands and your voices where you are and would you just talk to him right now? Jesus, we want to know you. God, we don't want to just have an experience, but we want to have a relationship with you. We don't want to just be called your your child. We don't want to just be called a son or a daughter and, and, and be satisfied with that. But, Lord, we want to have an ongoing relationship. We don't want to be estranged from you. We don't want to be connected with you in the Spirit, but never talk to you and never visit with you and never actually love you and never have community and relationship, Lord, but we want to know you. God, not just in a moment, but for the rest of our lives, from here until eternity, we want to be in an ongoing relationship with you. We want to continue to seek you. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ that are continuing to develop the character of Jesus Christ and being on mission for you. God, we love you. We praise you. We magnify your name, Jesus. We magnify your name. 
God, you have been so good to us. You have been so faithful. You have been more than we deserve. You have blessed us beyond measure. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw us to you, that we continue to be the people that you have called us to be. Continue to want to seek you and know more of you. Lord, then let that mindset that Paul had, let it be of us, that I may know you. I can learn more of you. That I would be all that you have called me to be. Let that be our prayer today. And we thank you, Jesus. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory.